everyone. Welcome back to the BeFit Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Connor Murphy. And today we are going to talk about what makes an effective trainer or how we can become more effective as a trainer. So the reason why we're talking about this is uh, I work for, obviously, managing partner of Big Night Fitness, but over the last eight years, I've also worked for the CrossFit training team. And what we do is we host the level one and level two certificate courses. So we teach the ideology and methodology of CrossFit and the level one course is the introductory course. The level two course, we actually train the trainers. So we're able to take people who have some time under tension coaching and, and help make them more effective trainers. Now for a lot of people in the fitness industry, they don't, you know, once you become a successful trainer, meaning that you are, clients are paying you to train them, they are seeing results, uh, things are going well, a lot of times ego starts to creep in and you think, well, if I'm doing this right, then I, I can't take feedback from anyone else on how I can do it better. And during this, this first lecture of the CrossFit level two seminar, um, the reason why I'm talking about this, uh, I have a level two, I'm teaching a level two this, this weekend and I'm delivering the first lecture that is the foundations of effective training. And it's been a while since I've taught it, but just rereading the instructor manual, it's just eye-opening to see how incredible it is to really objectify everything that we do, to make it to where it's like, you know, if you have a definition for everything, well, then you know if you're getting better, the same or worse at it, rather than a lot of these things being subjective. So this is from the, the level two trainer manual. I'm obviously not going to deliver the lecture verbatim, um, but I do want to talk about this and I want people to kind of sit back and think, um, how can I be a more effective trainer? It doesn't mean that you are not one now, but but are you able to self-assess? And this is not something that's coming from me, me telling you, you know, that's what we do during that course is help you become more effective. But if you can look at the criteria that we talk about here, you could see, Hey, where am I strong? And maybe where do I need some, where do I need to improve a little bit? So as, as, as CrossFit defines it, the foundations of effective training, there's really six criteria that we break it down into that, that would make an effective trainer. And the first three are more, of like the technical coaching side and the last three or more, it's more of like the tangible, intangible type things. So you have teaching, seeing, correcting, group management, presence and attitude, and demonstration. And when we talk about teaching, they break it down into two subjects of, you obviously have the internal, the knowledge part of it, right? You have to know what you're teaching. You have to know what the movements look like. You have to know the points performance. You have to know really everything about that. And the more effective you are, obviously the greater the knowledge base, but there's two pieces of the teaching, which is obviously your knowledge base, but then your ability to, to take that large body of information and cut it down into really simple things that your clients can listen to or your clients can learn. And whether you're teaching movements and progressions or you're just teaching movements, um, of, of any type of any different type of discipline, how much do you know about it? And then how can you effectively communicate that to your clients in order to get them to do it? So effective teaching can also lead into, um, you know, avoiding mistakes in the long run to where when we get into seeing and correcting, if you teach it well and simplify it teaching, maybe they won't have those mistakes down the road. So how much knowledge do you have? 
And how effective are you at taking that large body of knowledge and getting it to your clients? You know, it's a, there's always a really cool quote that, that rings true in my head whenever I, I hear someone talking really, really fancy when they're, when they're tr- trying to coach an athlete. It's like you should have the knowledge of an exercise physiologist and the delivery of a kindergarten PE teacher. You know, it's, a, it's like the typical cues that, you know, chest up, you know, arms straight, pull the bar back, and the, you know, a lot of cool different ways to, to be able to do that. But think, what is your ability to teach? And then when we move into to seeing and correcting, we talk about seeing movement, where you have to have the, the knowledge, the body of knowledge to be able to see if movement is either good or bad or efficient or inefficient or, or safe versus dangerous. And, you know, the two different positions, we have your static positions, non-moving, and then dynamic positions, the stuff that's in between. And how good are you at seeing um, egregious faults versus slight faults? Are you looking in the right area at the right time? What happens when they're really, really subtle faults and an athlete's moving really, really fast? Well, how good are you at seeing that? Well, do you know where to look? And really the only way to get better at seeing is by seeing a thousand reps. By knowing, you know, you have to know where the common faults are going to be. And then, you know, how do you, how do you get better at seeing those? You know, what are you looking for in the bottom of a squat? If you have your client squatting, what are you looking for? You should be able to rattle that stuff off. It's just, I want to see, you know, knees tracking toes, weight in your heels, neutral spine, depth below parallel, I want the proper line of action, hips travel back and down. Knowing that stuff is, is going to help you be able to see it. And then once you see the faults, it leads into the other piece, which is correcting it. How are you going about correcting your athlete's movement? If it's during a workout, are you able to correct them on the fly? Are you able to um, teach them under intensity? And if the movement is bad enough, do you have the knowledge base to say, all right, this is a big orthopedic safety piece here. If I have an athlete deadlifting and, and, his, and his spine is dynamic, so his spine is flexing during the rep, so not only does he have a, or he or she has a rounded back, but it's actually continuing to flex during the rep, it's like knowledge base that that's a big orthopedic safety issue. We need to have them stop, either deload until we can see the right mechanics or you know strip, strip the weight altogether and then build it back up in there. But knowing when to correct under speed, when to, you know, and how do you go about it? If you're 50 feet across the room from someone and you see a subtle fault and the music's loud, do you have ways that are other than verbal cueing to be able to help their movement? You know, with a visual cue, you show them the position they're in. Hey, you're here. I need you here. Or, you know, someone's pushing the bar forward and you're like, pull back, you know, the visual cueing, then, and then it gets into tactile cueing. Do you have all of these abilities? And I think those first three teaching, seeing and correcting are so important because they are like a lot of technical things, infinitely refinable. You're net, you're never good enough at those. You can always continue to get a broader base of knowledge. You can learn how to communicate that knowledge more effectively you can look at a million reps to two million reps to three million reps of just a simple movement and know exactly what you're looking for. And if you see it, do you even have the ability to acknowledge proper movement by seeing it done well? Hey, on this, I saw X, Y, Z, you're doing that well. 
or this is what you're doing, then it leads into the next piece, which is effective correcting. You see the movement fault, are you making it better? How can you get better at that? How can you simplify it? You know, if I have one cue that fixes, if someone squats down and their knees are going in, and I'm like, oh, Connor's got this one. Press your knees out. And it works for one person, but it doesn't work for the other person. I still need to be a more effective trainer. Sure, I, I crushed it with that. But what else do I have in my arsenal? Maybe they're visual learners. Do I have something that can help them out visually or tactile? Or maybe just what I said didn't resonate with them. So now instead of, hey, just drive your knees out, you know, it's like, hey, I want you to imagine, you know, rotating your feet, press your heels down and press your knees away from each other. Or, you know, there's, there's a thousand different things, but a, a good coaching cue is simply one that works. And it doesn't have to describe the movement perfectly. You don't have to use technical jargon. Um, I've heard before people, it's like, activate your posterior chain. I'm like, what does that mean? Sure, it's, it's, it's right, right? You're activating your posterior chain, the backside of your body. Um, but if because someone is rocking forward into their toes, which is making their squat more anterior, pulling from more of the front side of their body, maybe just having them wiggle their toes to shift them back in their heels might be more effective. Maybe not the correct movement, right? When you wiggle your toes, I don't want someone wiggling their toes during a squat. I want their weight evenly distributed throughout. But if by wiggling their toes, they shift back into their heels, which then their heels down increases the recruitment from the posterior chain, the backside of their body, maybe that's the most effective way rather than me using technical jargon. And then maybe I have that conversation with them afterwards. Hey, I told you to wiggle your toes and what you felt is you shifted back. It was better balanced by the frontal plane. And that's the most effective way to move. But like during a workout, do you need to tell them this? I don't know. Can you be more effective? Can you get people into better positions quicker? And that's what we talk about, um, you know, working on all these things to be a more effective trainer. So those are the things that we can work on. Those are the things that I'm continuously working on. I have incredible mentors that I get to watch and see do these things really well. And I also have amazing mentors that, that have those intangible things. So we, when we look at the other side of it, we have teaching, seeing, correcting, and then group management, presence and attitude, and demonstration. And... Group management, if we just start from the top, it's really more than what you would just think like, hey, can you manage a group? If you have 20 people in your class, where are they going to be? Where is the setup? Do you have a plan for this? And I think group management really comes down to having a plan for your class. Do you have a plan if 20 people show up? Do you have a plan if 30 people show up? I can tell you, I've been in that position to where I didn't have a plan and I had... 20 people show up to a class and then five minutes late, I had someone show up to a class that needed big scaling options that had some, some major previously existing injuries to where I had to make those, you know, I had to make those moves on the fly, which then made me a less effective coach during that because of the group management. I didn't plan to have that happen. So now I'm less effective with everyone else that's in the class. So by having a plan and trying to plan for the unexpected, or having the 30-person class plan can make you a more beneficial trainer. Did you say everyone's name? Did you get to every single person in the class and give them an effective cue to improve their movement? Because if not, what are they paying you for? Did you have your athletes set up in a way to where you could best see them? Did you have them set up in a way to where they could maximize the workout? To where, oh, there's too many people at this station. People were kind of waiting around. 
know, group management is an important part of being an effective trainer because you, you need to have that plan in order to, you know, talk to all of your clients. You know, you should be saying their name when they come into the gym. You should be saying their name as you're coaching them through the workout and you should be saying their name as they leave the gym. If you're not doing that, you might not be as effective as you could be. And you know what I don't want to hear? I don't want to hear, I'm bad with names. That's such a fucking cop out. And I get it. There are some people who are good with names and some people who are not. But every time, if I give you this example, it's like you have 10 people in your class and you're like, ah, I'm not so good with names or I I don't know their names. I always forget people's names. If I were to say, hey, if in the next 30 minutes you can recite everyone's name to me, you're going to get a million dollars. Guess what? You're going to start to remember their names. You're going to be like, okay, here's what I have to do to remember their names. Remember, Remember people's names. If you suck at it, well, great. Now you know where to put all your effort into when you're introducing yourself to a class. You know, get to know that. Don't use that as a cop-out. Sorry if that sounded a little bit extreme, but I'm sure you can get where I'm coming from because there are some people who are like, oh, I'm just bad at names. I've been there. I've been the person who's so focused on my handshake that it's like you meet someone and it's like, like if I'm you know, going to meet Hurley for the first time, it's like, hey, how's it going? I'm Connor. And he shakes my hand. He's like, I'm Peter. There's times where like two seconds later, he could have been like, what's my name? And I was like, I have no idea. I was really focused on the eye contact and the handshake. But if it came down to it to where it was like, hey, if you remember everyone's name that you meet today, you get, you know, a $30,000 bonus in your check. I'm probably going to spend a little bit more time knowing their names. So do that. Next down, presence and attitude. You could have no other skills as a coach. You could have no body and knowledge to teach. You could not know how to effectively communicate it. You could be the worst at seeing. You could be the worst at correcting. You could be terrible at group management. But if you have a good presence and attitude, people will want to be around you. That doesn't mean <laughs> I'm going to leave all these other things at the wayside and all I'm going to care about is my personality. No, because that's going to affect, obviously, your overall effectiveness as a trainer. But if you're the most knowledgeable person in the world, you're the smartest, you can see your eyes in the back of your head, but you're boring and no one wants to be around you, you're not going to be an effective trainer. And here's where I think people get lost about this is that they think, I see the dream coach. I see the person who's out there smiling, loud, laughing, telling the best jokes. I need to be that person. It's like, if that's what falls in your personality, then yes, you can aspire to be like that trainer. But what I think people need to do is take whatever their abilities are and try to highlight them to become the bigger you, right? Not the bigger someone else. I've made that mistake. I actually wrote a, um, I wrote an article that was published in the CrossFit journal and it was be the bigger you. And when I first got up to Reebok to coach, I saw my boss, Austin Maliolo, and my and another woman that I worked with, Denise Thomas, coaching classes. And I'm like, man, they're incredible. I'm going to do what they're doing. And I started losing kind of who I was as a coach because I was trying to be, you know, the loud, the, um, you know, the strict Austin in class and get everyone in lines and that when I'm kind of more of like a goofy, laid back, loud, but you know, that was my own personality. And then I would see Denise coaching and she could see 9 million faults and she could coach and, and get people to move in better positions. And I'm like, that's what I need to do. And then, you know, I have people at the bottom of a deadlift for seven minutes because I'm trying to do what she's doing, but I'm just not as good at it. So I want to take the small pieces of things they do well 
and things that, that resonate with me and my personality and do that. If you're not a loud person, then you need to focus more on the one-on-one communication with the people that are joining your classes. Maybe you have those, maybe you're always in class 15 minutes before. So when the people walk in, you ask them how they're doing. You know, you should know what your clients do for work. You should know what their kids' names are. You should know what sports that they're in. That's the stuff that, you know, that's the personality piece. That's presence and attitude. It's care. It's, it's, it's empathy. It's passion for your craft. It's caring about people. So, so finding the best version of you and, and spending time on doing that can make you a more effective trainer. And the last one we'll talk about is demonstration. And this is one, and I know I use this quote a lot, this is one that people get wrapped around the axle about because there's the age-old question, do you have to be fit to be a good trainer? And there are a thousand answers. Uh, again, all I know is my experience. And I can say I've seen a lot of, of effective and ineffective trainers, but it really comes down to demonstration. Are you demonstrating, one, if if your movement looks terrible and you're trying to coach someone into better movement, that's not going to be as effective as if you have sound and perfect mechanics of what you're trying to teach. People are going to learn quicker that way. However, that does not mean that you are not allowed to teach that. Having awareness of your own movement, I think, is more important than just being able to move well. Hey, I know on my squat, I'm really, really tight, so getting to depth is hard, so I'm really fighting to pull my hips down in this position. I know my torso angle is a little bit further forward because my ankles are tight, whatever the excuse is. So I'm really fighting to pull my chest. My belly's tight. My chest is up in this position. I want you fighting the same way. Well, that's going to go a lot longer than just saying, oh, mine sucks, but you need to do this. You know, working for that. Are you demonstrating the same program you're teaching? In In the CrossFit world, in the CrossFit gyms, are you doing the same thing you're telling your clients to do? If you're a Barry's boot camp instructor, are you taking classes? Are you on there? When the instructor goes, add two, are you adding two? Are you doing that? Because if you are, guess what? People will see that. And I'm not saying you're not an effective trainer, but it can increase your efficacy as a trainer because people think this person's doing it. I want to look like this person. I want to do what they're doing. This person is someone I want to be around and they're putting out and they're doing the same military term of putting out effort. I always forget to explain that because sometimes when I'm like, hey, you were like putting out today. That was great. And people are like, so not in a sexual reference effort. If people see that you're putting out the same way you're asking them to during your classes, it, you're going to be more effective. People are going to listen to you. I, I think about the opposite I've met trainers who, and you know what, you don't have to be the fittest person in the world in order to be an effective trainer, but you need to be adhering to what you're telling people to do. Otherwise it just falls upon deaf ears. Sure. There's going to be some people who will, you know, who will listen to you, but if you want to maximize your effectiveness, it's not going to hurt. It's not going to hurt to be, you know, doing the same challenges you're having your clients do. We talked about this in, in celebrity training. If, if I'm touring or training a celebrity and, and we're going we're gonna to train, let's say we're going to train, it's a Friday and we're going to train Saturday morning. Friday night, the artists are like, we're going to go out and 
we're going to have some drinks. Like, okay, let's do it. And <laughs> this is such a bad example of, of what, you know, of it's one piece of it. And so I go out and have drinks with them. And then the next day when it's time to train, Hey, I feel the same as you feel. Let's go do it. And that's one way to where it's like, oh, I would do whatever the artist is doing. Maybe that was, maybe that was a bad example. Here's another one. When, I was, when we were on tour with Dylan, uh, he was following a, a intermittent fasting. Uh, so we had you know, our, our timed meals of when we were eating, when we weren't. We also really ate quality foods, though. So it wasn't just a quantitative measure of, how many, you know, of when you could eat and how much calories you were getting. It was very, very specific to what types of food we were eating. But even though my goals internally, like in my heart, I was trying to get stronger and gain weight, you know, during this, I was doing the same program that Dylan was doing because that inspired him to continue to, to do it. And if it's like, oh, yeah, I need to eat at 10 p.m., I need to have this protein shake because I'm trying to do this, you know, maybe in, in that sense, it's like, well, then I can do it too. We're doing the same thing. So by, by adhering to the same program, it just made it more effective as a trainer. Not saying it can't be effective, but going down that road can help and, and benefit massively to, to the clients that you're reaching out to. It's your, it's your credibility. It's your street cred. You know, this guy's walking the walk. This girl's talking the talk. It's like, do what you're having your clients do. Don't be a slob. You don't have to be the fittest person. You don't have to have you know, rip your shirt off and have an eight pack all the time. Now, let me ask you a question. If, if you look like the, if you look the part and you look incredibly fit and you are incredibly fit and you've been grinding for the last 10 years, or if you have just kind of slacked off, just not necessarily cared as much, care about your clients, but maybe you don't train as hard. Maybe you had some sort of injury. Maybe, um, maybe your body fat percentage is a little higher than, than shreddy McShredstein over here. In getting new clients, who do you think is going to look more effective? Who do you think the client is going to look towards to say, hey, maybe I want to start with this person? Does that mean they're a better trainer? No. But does that mean that that person could be a little bit more effective if they followed their guy, if they spent a little bit more time on that? Yes. And, and, and people are like, oh, that's not true. You don't have to be fit to be a trainer. You're right. But if it can make you more effective, should you? Should you at least try that or be in the process, be on that journey with people? That's probably more powerful. I remember at a CrossFit level one seminar, gosh, this had to have been in 2016. Um, there was a woman in there who was really insecure about the way that she looked and how she was able to teach others. It's like, why would this person listen to me? It's like, well, in that, and I got, got a chance to, to work with her, and she, she's amazing. One, just like the kindest person. But two, it's, you know, when we were doing the pull-up progression, I'm like, not only do I want you to do the scaled version because that's what you're capable of now, but now imagine the people that are going to want to listen to you because they saw you go from the scaled version to the, you know, being able to do the strict pull-up, to be able to do kipping pull-ups and to go through that. It's like, that's more powerful than just already having the results. And so learning how to communicate with people, hey, your clients will learn quickly that it's less about what you're capable of and more about what you're capable of getting them to do. 
It's like if I was the best coach in the world at getting people to do muscle-ups on the rings, but I couldn't do a muscle-up, but I could get everyone else their muscle-ups, again, very quickly would they stop caring about that. They'd be like, oh, well, he helped me. That's what I'm looking for. But a lot of times in order to get people in the door, that's the kind of stuff that they see and they, they, want, they want that um, from their trainer. So it goes back and forth. Those things, maximizing efficacy is what we're talking about here. And so those are six areas. And again, this isn't, you know, we, in the seminar, I always encourage everyone, if you've done the level one to do the level two seminars, the, the trainers that are, you know, my mentors, everyone that I get to work with are just these amazing people that care. And it was a pivotal moment in my life when I went through that course. Cause I'll tell you, I was coaching down in St. Thomas and you know, people are losing weight People are, you know, they're, they're healthier, they're having more fun, there's more energy and passion in their lives. So I'm like, well, I must be a, a wonder, I must be the most effective coach. Like, I'm, you know, I'm crushing it over here. Meanwhile, it's like training at intensity, functional movements in group settings, like it, it works. And I went up to take this course, not as an instructor, as a participant. And I remember after day one, I was like, do I even know the mechanics of these movements? Should I even be a coach right now? There was so much information that I was missing because I was so comfortable with the results I was getting, as opposed to saying, I'm getting good results for my clients or my clients are getting good results with me. How can I become more efficacious? How can I get them more results, more efficiently, keep them in safer positions? And so after the day one of the course, it was actually, it was called a different course at that point in time. I remember going home or going to the, the friend's house I was staying at. And it was like, hey, day two, you're going to go in without an ego. You're going to go in and just listen and absorb every bit of information that they have to tell you, as opposed to trying to argue and defend that you're doing things right because people are getting results at your gym in St. Thomas. And just listen. And I remember that second day, the only thing that I wish I had done differently was have that attitude day one. And it was incredible. And from that moment on, I, I mean, I was opening up anatomy and physiology books that I had no business reading, but just to learn, learn more about this type of stuff. Every course, inside and outside of CrossFit, the more information I could get, the better I was going to be as a trainer. Took more time, took more care and passion to, to know everyone's names that was coming in the gym, to know what they were doing. It's like, you know, you look, idolize these trainers that are doing it well. Take the pieces that resonate with you and, and can keep grinding on. Just try not to get stuck. You know, if there's if there's the six criteria we just listed off, where are you best and where should you allocate a little bit more time to improve on? And if that's what helps you benefit more as a trainer, rock and roll. And then in a week, a month, look over that list again. Where am I lacking? Where am I strong? Let's keep going on that. There's a ton of different courses out there. You know, this information is, is, was, is what's presented and taught at the course. Um, and it's, it's really cool to see the, the course breakdown too, to be able to, to then take that and work with clients to help them in, in just specific areas. There may be one person who has really good in this, but struggles in here and that's where they're going to need work. And that's where they're going to work on to become a better trainer. So analyze yourself. It's not me telling you you're good or bad at this thing. You make those owns, you make those own kind of thoughts and decisions, teaching, seeing, correcting group management, presence and attitude, demonstration. Where can you get better? Allocate time to that. I promise you, you're going to be a better coach. Keep spending time on the things that you're already good at and ignore the things you're bad at. 
it's just like in, in training. If you fail to work your weaknesses, you're not going to get better at them. Yet when you go headlong in the pursuit of your weaknesses, it tends to make everything else better too. Don't be afraid to look bad. All right. Take that for what it's worth. If you have questions, comments, concerns, complaints, drop them in the comment box. But uh, always appreciate uh, the time. And if there's anyone, if there's any guests, uh, especially in the Boston area that you'd like to see on the show, you'd like to you know, have the platform to kind of tell their story, really, really open to not just the people I know, but, but some other people. So feel free to leave that in the comments and uh, follow us at Big Night Fitness. And then my personal Instagram is Connor T. Murphy, C-O-N-O-R-T-M-U-R-P-H-Y. Um, we're always trying to put out good content. You know, these are just my opinions here, but we always have other people on who, who love to tell their story and um, and just continue to make the world a healthier place, especially in this uh, this beautiful city of Boston. And, uh, and outside, if we can inspire anyone, we're here for it. Thanks, team. We'll see you next week.